rather than having somebody go out there and set up procs just right and have to measure it all out, he could actually look at it in kind of real time and see, all right, I'm close enough, I'm not close enough, and it improved his setup time tremendously. Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Carrie Lee. I'm the product manager for Sysmac Studio, NJ NX Controllers, and NXIO. I've been with Omron for about two and a half years and have about 15 years of experience in automation. Sitting here with me is Kenny Heidel. Hi everyone, I'm Kenny Heidel and I'm a national account manager focusing on channel engagement. I've been with Omron for over three years now and have 12 years of combined factory and industrial automation experience. Kenny and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about products, new technologies and trends, and of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with listeners so that you can learn along with us. So whether you are pouring yourself the first or fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day off right with a little fun, and hopefully you'll learn something new. A quick note to our listeners, Mike Hamoy is no longer with Omron. We feel it was a good discussion and the content is still valuable and relevant for our listeners. So hopefully hopefully my singing right now will not, not ruin this podcast, but it'll be E-I-O link. Does that work? Does that, uh, does that hit it? <laughs> but it's an exciting day here on this podcast. We've uh, have a have a real special guest with us to talk about everything IO what? Oh, IO Link. His name is Mike Kamoy and Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No problem. If you want to uh, just give our listeners a little bit of your background, kind of how long you've been with Omron and and stuff like that. Sure. I've been at Omron for about two and a half years now. Uh, I'm the product manager for our sensors and precision measurement product lines. And I've been actually, I'm actually kind of new to the automation industry. I kind of grew up in the oil and gas industry as an R&D chemist and as a product manager before I switched over. Oh, nice. A, a less explosive endeavor for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could say so. <laughs> Definitely a less dangerous one. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, we like to start the podcast off with a couple questions we ask all our guests just to kind of get to know you. So, uh, what is your go-to takeout order? My go-to takeout order is from a semi-local place up in Crystal Lake. I say semi-local because they have a couple of locations, but they're not quite like a chain, right? Not like a Chili's. Mm-hmm. It's a place called the Village Squire. And they have this thing called the prime rib grinder. And it's like just prime rib and onions and au jus sauce. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I've gotten it countless amount of times during COVID. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me hungry right now. I was going to say, we'll take a break from the podcast right now to go get that sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So second hard hitting question. So if you have to get a lot of work done. Uh, what is your jam music selection? What are you going to throw on your headphones to be able to crush through some work? It's actually an incredible playlist that one of my friends 
put together. And uh, her comment was, after she made it, she said, this is awesome, but you can't listen to it with kids around. <laughs> so if that gives you some idea, uh, that's kind of what I jam out to, whether it's cranking through spreadsheets and research or working out in my garage. <laughs> nice, nice. So uh, what's your favorite hobby, Mike? What do you like to do when you're not uh, learning everything you can and telling us all everything you can about sensors and IO link? Well, it's kind of a recently developed hobby, I guess. Last summer during COVID, my eldest daughter wanted to get out and see the outdoors. And so for her and some of my friends and their daughters, I started like a daddy-daughter club. Oh. And um, it's called Adventure Club, and it's awesome. And so, nice. you know, we do fun stuff. We like, we went hiking, we went fishing, we took the girls canoeing. I didn't plan out a camping trip well enough last year. So we got, we kind of got pushed out by the cold, but we're going to try and lead mm. with that this year. So, but yeah, that's one of the things that I kind of just, I like to do on my spare time is um, organize stuff like that. One of the other things we're doing right now is uh, we just do like some soccer coaching. So me and a couple other dads kind of coach a bunch of kids in soccer and stuff. So Sweet. Nice. Now, your daughter's like seven or eight, so is she past the bunch ball stage, or is, is it still just a big, like a herd of bees out on the soccer field? Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 getting past that point where awesome. it's, uh, you know, follow the ball, and uh, that has been so exciting to watch, to just see how she's starting to read the field and move around and you know, pseudo follow instructions, but you know, pass. <laughs> Fun. That's awesome. It's awesome. Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, so let's get down to, uh, some of the serious questions we got for you here today, Mike. Um, how about you just to kind of give our listeners an idea? Can you give us just an overview of IO link in general? Sure. So IO link was started by uh, a consortium of bunch of different companies all somehow in, involved in automation either for sensors or actuators and many of the companies I think are, are of German origin um, so but anyways the, these companies all got together initially because they wanted to create a solution for get, getting more information out of IO that's spread out throughout a factory floor and they wanted to do something that was standard, mm -hmm. that was open network, and so IOLink was what they came up with. So, so down to the sort of nitty gritty of it, right? What what is IOLink? IOLink is a is a point to point communications protocol, an open network point to point communications protocol. So basically, what it means is that from uh, IOLink enabled sensors to their masters, they communicate through IOLink based on a certain standard. And thereafterwards, they are open network to whatever field bus protocol that you want to be using. So basically what it allows you to do is pull information out of those sensors that are typically just discrete sensors. So they basically just tell you whether they're on or whether they're off. But with IOLink, you can start to pull all different kinds of data out of them and be able to do some interesting things with it, log it, and so on and so forth. 
Nice, nice. That sounds very informative, especially, you know, thinking from the sensor level, like getting getting some more information out of it rather than just on off status. Uh, for our listeners, you know, what components do you need uh, to build an IO link system? You know, uh, obviously, it's not just the sensor itself. There's a couple other a couple other components needed. Yeah. So one of the things that um, the IO link consortium standardized on was the cabling. So for some other sensor level communications protocols that pre-existed or predated IO-Link, uh, you had to have special cabling and, and you know, specialized this or that. And with IO-Link, they actually standardized on three or five pin cord sets. So any cord set that you would normally use to plug into a sensor that's three, four or five pin, the minimum being three, you can use that uh, to be able to mm -hmm. do your IO-Link communication. So that's necessary. Of course, the IO-Link device, as we've kind of mentioned. And then I mentioned earlier, too, in passing, mm -hmm. an IO-Link master. So an IO-Link master uh, is basically what's doing mm -hmm. a lot of the push and pull of information from the sensor. And then from there, everything else is kind of standard to whatever network you're, you're using. So if you're using Ethernet IP, then you would communicate back through Ethernet IP. If you're e communicating through EtherCAT, then you would do that back to your PLC or whatever. So not too not too complicated then. Just a couple uh, couple components. Uh, obviously, could could exponentially get bigger, right, with the number of sensors and everything like that running to the same master. But really, not nothing too complicated to build that uh, that system. No, and, and the other thing I left out that is actually um, necessary and is another piece of that standard is an IODD file. Don't uh, ask me what IODD means, but uh, <laughs> it is the file that allows you to be able to configure your sensor. It tells you what bits you can read. It tells you what bits you can write to. And it tells you what pieces of information are what are considered process data. So data that kind of just refreshes every whatever it is, 1.2 milliseconds or so if you're using the, a faster baud rate. So uh, th that's the other kind of critical piece. And, and that is always available for any IO-Link capable device that is put out in the market. Because if you're following IO-Link, you're following an IEC standard. And so you have to conform to that in order to be able to use that IO-Link uh, branding. Ah, that's, uh, that's good to know. Good to know. So, Mike, uh, if I'm listening to you and I'm not familiar with IO-Link, I may wonder, well, why wouldn't I just put my sensor on Ethernet IP or EtherCAT if I've got that network going there already? What would what would your answer be um, to tell them why they should use IO-Link? Well, so, you know, in order to put one of those devices onto Ethernet IP, it's not super common, I would say, to have regular kind of IO that's capable of communicating on that kind of a communications platform. Mm -hmm. So you need something to kind of bridge the gap. You would otherwise only really be able to do on off. Uh, there are some sensors like some of the sensors that we have that have a separate communications module, which you could talk about as like a master. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that would communicate with your field bus protocol, whatever it is you're using. But the nice thing about IO link is that, as long as your master is able to communicate on that field bus protocol that you're using, 
then it really doesn't matter what sensor that you're using as long as the sensor has an IO-Link chip in it. Mm. And it's therefore IO-Link capable, right? Sure. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think about how much of an adder it would cost to add an Ethernet IP or EtherCAT driver to a device, and the cost of a typical sensor probably going to be more to put the EIP uh, or EtherCAT port on a sensor than the sensor itself, right? That's true. And, and the other part about that is that, you know, with the IO-Link Masters, you don't end up having to assign uh, new IP addresses Ooh. to every single one that you put on, right? So it's easier in that sense as well. So there's uh, the hassle, you know, that you talked about. Mm -hmm. That includes mm -hmm. having to assign an IP address, but then there's also the cost, the associated cost. That's one of the benefits that people have seen, especially earlier on in, in like kind of earlier adopters of IO-Link is the, is the cost difference to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Great point. Yeah, it does. It does seem like it has a as a good opportunity, or a, it's not as hard to scale up, right? If you start to have bigger machines, lots of sensors, and everything, it's much easier to, from a scalability standpoint, to to add more and more sensors that are IO-Link uh, capable. So, kind of kind of based on that, what what have you seen for some common uh, applications uh, for for IO-Link to be used, whether it be on sensors or even other products? What have you kind of uh, seen in your experience? Yeah. So one of the easier ones. That we that I've seen more often in some folks who are I would say I would call them as you know kind of earlier adopters they've used them more in like a predictive maintenance type uh, scenario either predictive maintenance or even just kind of like a real time monitoring kind of thing right so so I imagine a scenario in which you had dozens of sensors on your line and something is happening where you're missing parts. And so you've created a quality issue. Now you've got to go stop the line mm -hmm. and figure out which sensor is bad, right? So IO-Link um, kind of facilitates troubleshooting in that sense because it'll, it helps you to tell exactly which one of your IO ports has a down sensor on it. So, so in that sense, it makes it a little bit easier to, to take care of that and to reduce your downtime there. From a predictive standpoint, right, if you're, if you're operating in an environment where, you know, the environment uh, is, uh, is harsher, mm -hmm. we like, that's kind of a, a term we kind of like to use a lot. You know, we're working in harsh environments or, or difficult uh, environmental conditions. When things are starting to, let's say, cake onto your photoelectric sensor and occlude the lens, you know, there are some sensors out there, some IO-Link capable sensors that will be able to tell you that their light intensity is changing over time. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of track that over time. And if it's starting to get to a point where the light intensity is at a low enough threshold, then you can say, you know what, I got to take care of this now, go out there, do my preventive maintenance, and your line continues to run, right? So those are some of the, the scenarios mm -hmm. where I've seen people use them. Another one that's that hasn't come up quite as often but I thought was really cool and and I would I just wanted to take a, a moment to to shout it out here it was a, mm -hmm. a customer up in Wisconsin who was actually using IOLink to help configure their sensors mm -hmm. so he and, and configure their their setup mm -hmm. so rather than having somebody go out there and set up procs just right and have to measure it all out he could actually look at it in, in kind of real time and see all right I'm close enough I'm not close enough and it improved his setup time tremendously. 
He would just mm -hmm. hook into IO Link, look at it on his screen, and then adjust the sensor as needed, call it good, lock that, that proc sensor in, and, and off he went. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. That is a that is a really cool application of the technology beyond just, you know, getting status information out of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So setup is great. Predictive maintenance is great. Recommissioning is great. Uh, one of the benefits of mm -hmm. IOLink is that, you know, when we have these these real highly configurable sensors, right? So some of our newer sensors, for instance, you can set different thresholds that you want them to output at. And so let's say somebody goes in and clips a cable or smashes that sensor with a hammer or something like that. If you wanted to do the exact same thing, you just go and replace that sensor and your IOLink master will push the configuration uh, to that sensor. You don't, you don't have to waste a whole bunch of time sitting there re reconfiguring that whole thing. That is awesome. I can imagine a lot of maintenance people that would be very happy to have that technology at their fingertips. Yeah, and, and just from like a factory operations standpoint, right? I know in some manufacturing plants that I've visited, their maintenance crews are shrinking a bit, right? So we're trying to maximize those people's time because that super skilled labor that you want taking care of down machinery, not a, not a a bit of I.O. that's that's out there that you need to re have them re reconfigure, right? They can just plug and play, and off they go to tackle bigger and better problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, if I wanted to start to look and say, okay, uh, I want to start adding I.O. link to uh, some of my processes, what would be some sensors that Omron offers that do have I.O. link? You said light, I think photo eye. What else? Yeah, so um, some of our newer product lines for proximity sensors, those all have IO-Link. You know, it's kind of a, a trend that we have within sensors at Omron, right? We're making them smarter, we're making them longer sensing, or making them very environmentally robust, right? Those are the three big things that, I, that Omron's really focusing on when it comes to our sensors. And from the intelligence standpoint, you know, our PROC sensors, mm -hmm. the E2E Next, um, which is our plastic face proximity sensor, and our E2EW, which is our metal face proximity sensor, they hit all those three. Um, robustness for the environment, long sensing distance, and then, of course, intelligence, right, IO-Link. On the photoelectric side, we've got some of our traditional uh, photoelectric sensors that are, you know, very small, rectangular, easy to put in places uh, that come into, they basically come in the same form factor of, of our E3Z photoelectric sensors. So for the folks out there that are familiar with Omron, you know, we have IO-Link sensors that are in that same form factor. On the newer side, there's a whole new family called the E3AS family. And that set of photoelectric sensors, again, hits all those uh, high points that we're trying to hit when it comes to sensors. They're all very extremely robust when it comes to the environment, well sealed and everything. So whether it's washed down or oil, these mm -hmm. things will be resistant to ingress there. Uh, long sensing distance, that is key for all of them, especially without uh, a secondary unit. So they're all diffuse type sensing photoelectric sensors. And then finally, they all have IOLink, which is really, really great from a configurability standpoint, but also too from like a data capture standpoint. 
the E3ASHL version, uh, which is our CMOS photoelectric sensor released back in October of 2020, that one has a lot of configurability and it's really cool to see people start to use the information that they can get out of there. And in particular for that, it means measurement information. So it means we can pull information from that sensor, which is a discrete sensor, mm -hmm. by the way, and we can pull that information in millimeters. We're not having to do any sort of strange mm -hmm. scaling or, or difficult scaling. We pull that information and it comes out as millimeters or in one of the versions, in tenths of a millimeter. So if you're trying to do some kind of rough approximation, either for configuration, for data logging, for the purposes of using it as an input to something else, you can actually pull that information through IOLINK. It's really, really fascinating to see people work with it. That's a really good point when you talk about not having to do the scaling. Because if you think about how easy it is to make a quick math mistake or forget or misunderstand, maybe there's a difference in scaling between sensors and the amount of time it can take to actually troubleshoot to find that root cause of why my sensor isn't measuring what I what I think. You it can spend a lot of time, whether you're doing a startup or um, proof of concept. Um, I think that's that's a very good point as far as saving some time as part of the solution. Yeah, and especially too, like depending if you're doing your distance measurement off of some kind of milliamp output, right? It's easier exactly. to, just like you were saying, Carrie, it's easier to have that calculation done in the sensor as opposed to having to basically kind of interpolate it off of some kind of reference data that you have. Right. And, and just one more thing, milliamp, I automatically think noise, right? Uh, yes. If there's if somebody puts a servo in that same panel, now I've got a really low uh, current that is susceptible to noise on there, and that signal can be poor. But once you put it on IO link, you no longer need to worry about mitigating that noise. Mm -hmm. Great point. Great point. All right. So, Mike, you you talked about kind of the the one benefit of IO link, right? The the quick configuration. You know, some guy smashes a sensor with a hammer, plug in a new sensor can get it quickly up and running. Can you maybe give us an example of a situation, you know, because some people might say, well, I just plug my photoelectric sensor in and it works again. But like of a situation maybe where some different configurations have been put into that sensor that could start to amount to a lot of time saved on the replacement side with IOLINK? Sure. Let's take our, our new sensor, that E3ASHL, for example. That sensor is really, really neat because it allows you to set a detection window. So you can imagine a scenario where I'm trying to position something very carefully, right? I need it to go in a pretty tight region. And so what I can do with that sensor is set up a window of detection. So basically between the sensor and the start of that window, I don't sense anything. It will ignore it. And then once I get into that window, it will detect that whatever is there. And then beyond that window, further away from the, the sensor and further away from that window, I don't detect anything, right? So it's a very, very short range where we're actually doing some kind of detection. Well, I might go in and set that sensor up, uh, let's say manually, right? And I might say that my threshold or my window of detection is 20 millimeters wide. So I'm working within a 20 millimeter space. And 
you know, somebody goes and, and destroys that sensor or the, the cord gets clipped by a forklift driving by, whatever it might be, right? We need to go and replace that sensor. When we plug mm -hmm. a new one back in, we can actually push that same information back out to the sensor. It will create that window in that same space, right? So that's one of the big benefits from it. So you don't have to go there and like kind of refiddle with it, if, mm -hmm. especially if you know what that threshold setting is. Mm -hmm. uh, you can either have it go straight from the master there, or if you're mm -hmm. doing things remotely, you have somebody plug it in, you can just say, okay, I, I want it configured this way, right? So as long as you have your screens set up, then mm -hmm. you can actually go and either do it remotely or just have it pushed from the master if it lives there already. And I feel like sometimes maybe that uh, that tinker time is underestimated, right? Yeah. Especially on a replacement, um, trying to set something up exactly how it was. The people people are like, oh, that will only take me a couple of minutes. Yeah, but when you start to, you know, it adds up. All those little minutes add up, right? Yeah, and 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 there's a there's another side of that coin too, right? We're talking about configuration and making that whole process easier. And so far in our conversation, we talked about it in the sense of uh, something goes down, right? Mm -hmm. But but the way manufacturing is going now, we're having to manufacture multiple different kinds of parts on the same production mm -hmm. line, right? So when we're talking about doing that, we have to send something in, let's say, a slightly larger range, just mm -hmm. you know, kind of piggybacking off of our previous example. Well, rather than having somebody go out there and reconfigure every single sensor, you can actually push that information remotely and, and make that whole process a lot easier. So you know, there's minutes in terms of downtime, and then there's minutes in terms of just reconfiguration for whatever flexible manufacturing scenario you come up with. That is a that is a great point. That is an absolutely great point that I think people probably don't necessarily uh, think about as well. Um, yeah, there was a a horror story, if you will. One of my uh, managers uh, told me where they had a production line where they they literally had kind of a, an apparatus set up of a whole nother set of sensors so that when they changed, they changed over their line, they'd actually take all the sensors off, put this other bracket <laughs> back on just oh so they could gosh. handle the new product. But, but with IOLink, you, you know, you, you keep the same sensors on there, hopefully, <laughs> and then just push the configuration you want out there. So I can't imagine doing that, especially as a, you know, as a, as a maintenance person or, or operations person. All right. So, Mike, when you're talking about switching, you know, lines over and change over, I think about, you know, the classic example of I'm, I'm packaging Coca-Cola. Is it going to be in a 20-ounce or a liter bottle? So I can kind of see, you know, IOLink uh, potentially being a trend within the F&C industry. Is that what you're seeing? And then what are some other industries that you see really leading the charge for IOLink these days? Yeah, you know, IOLink has been around for a little while, but it's it's still kind of ramping up in terms of its overall adoption. There's some pockets mm -hmm. within automotive that I I would mm -hmm. say aren't, aren't just leading the charge. They're they're going kind of above and beyond. Now I, I can't say that it's it's widely adopted everywhere in automotive, but there are some pockets that are doing some incredible things uh, in terms of IOLink factory IOLink factory intelligence as as a whole. It's really kind of astounding. But there, there's also too, you know, you, you have a point. There's some folks in, in FNC 
and uh, logistics that are using IOLink, like in that instance I talked about where they're using them to, mm. to kind of help with their setup, right? So it's growing. It's growing. Well, thanks, Mike. This was uh, really, really enlightening for me. I definitely learned a lot. Um, you really helped me link some of the IO to my PLCs. You see what I did there? Yeah, um, that's much better than my farm. Uh, my down. <laughs> I was about to say down on the farm. My <laughs> my I, old McDonald reference. I, I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more of that, Kenny. It's my favorite part when you sing. Only, only if our listeners request that. Only <laughs> okay, so uh, before we wrap up, though, Mike, and again, we appreciate all your time. Uh, everyone who comes on, we put them through the gauntlet of a little bit of trivia. Okay, Mr. Sensor Guy, when was the photo eye invented? Long, long time ago. Oh, oh we got a guest man. singing. That's great. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I will be replaced. <laughs> Mike, we'll talk offline. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'm ready. My agent is ready. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 have, I have to say I don't know. I'm going to go Google it as soon as we're done. Do you have a guess? I'm going to say 1938. Go a little newer. I'll give you one more guess. 1947. Ooh, 1951. So. Very close. Yeah, not bad. So, well, thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It was a yeah, pleasure we- to be on the podcast, and uh, it was, it's always awesome talking to you guys. absolutely thanks mike it's been very informative and i think we all know a little little io link now so thank you very much thank you thank you everyone for joining carrie me for the operation automation podcast if you have topics you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes please send them to our email address omran now at omran.com with podcast idea in the subject line also if you'd like to submit a song to us we are looking for intro and outro music options this can be submitted to the same email. Finally, all the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found at automation.omran.com. So until next time, we put the fun in factory automation. Long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs>